Digest is brought to you by SAP HANA. SAP HANA helps the world's best companies get the answers they need to become more agile, develop new streams of revenue, and predict the future. Run SAP and run simple. Visit sap.com slash reimagine to learn more. And by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, November 17th, 2015 from Slate. It's the GIST. I'm Mike Pesca. I was listening to the BBC this morning because the B stands for British and British is closer to France. I wanted to find out what was going on in France. Oh, the other B. In case you thought I was thinking about the other B, that stands for broadcasting, which also kind of does also explain why I was listening to the BBC. So they go to the news, they go to the updates, all the trouble in the world, and then they take a left turn. Although maybe in Britain it's a right turn. That would be the more radical type of turn when you're driving on that side of the street. Okay, but first, before I get to the turn, i got to tell you my thoughts on the British accent. I love it and loathe it. That accent takes our jobs. We as American broadcasters... We judge it to be oh so serious when Tony Blair uses it to argue for war in Iraq. Just sounds smarter. When John Cleese uses it to put down Michael Palin. Just sounds funnier. It's not fair. I suffer under the heels of the British accent. It's so mellifluous. So I sometimes like it when the accent gets its comeuppance. Not aluminum or schedule. Those are well known. I like when the accent is paired with a word that's kind of inherently silly. So this report on the BBC just delighted me. The subject was, well, listen. Scooters. Scooters. It was scooters. So proper, this scooter. Scooter. Will riding scooters give you cuties? Our correspondent weighs in. And then there was the entire report where the reporter in Taipei, she didn't pronounce Scooter with the English accent. She did a great job with Scooter. But one of the people inside the report translating from Chinese, she did the Scooter thing. Scooters. Twice. Scooters. Scooter, would you like your scooter in chrome or pewter? Would you like to pick it up in person or order from the computer your scooter? And then they back announce the correspondent. That was our correspondent Cindy Sue reporting uh, from Taipei on the environmentally friendly smart scooter. Ah, Cindy Sue, we loved her as the only who in Whoville who loved the Grinch before he scooted away. On the show, on the show today. Well, if that was what Mike listened to this morning, how about a spiel called What Mike Watched Last Night? Late night comedy grappling with tragedy. But first, the stats behind our safety and why there haven't been any international terrorist attacks in the United States and how long that could last. SAP. SAP HANA helps the world's best companies get the answers they need to become more agile, develop new streams of revenue, predict the future, and reimagine the way they do business. Run SAP and run simple. Visit sap.com slash SAP HANA to learn more. The Paris attacks, the Russian bombing, the Beirut attacks, I can list 50 others. They all give the U.S. pause because we've lived through the worst single terrorist attack in world history. But since then, since 9-11-2001, nothing. Thwarted plots, broken up attacks, yes, some lone wolves to be sure, the Boston bombers, Major Hassan and Fort Hood, but no massively 
internationally coordinated attacks in the United States. Why? Joining me now is Gary LaFree, professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of Maryland and the director of the National Center for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. It's called START. Thank you for coming on, Gary. My pleasure. So in this country, there are so many sets of facts available to you that you could choose what you believe in. Sometimes this is ridiculous. People believe in conspiracy theories, but I've reported on, say, healthcare. And if you want to choose a set of facts that say it's working great, those are your facts. And if you want to choose a set of facts saying that it's working terribly, that's kind of plausible too. A very similar thing is going on with terrorism. It is very hard to know how many terror plots have been disrupted. The institutes come out with different numbers. Other people, perhaps opponents of the Patriot Act, says, no, we would have found them anyway. I want to ask you, can we definitely say that terrorism plots have been disrupted? And if so, was it by law enforcement? Was it because of the Patriot Act? What was it? So let's start with the number. How many terrorism plots do we think have been disrupted? Well, actually, I think your lead-in was a great one for that, because as soon as you start putting a particular number on it, we're into probably dispute already. Good. Most researchers, I would say, would argue that there have been around 150 disrupted foil plots. You know, it is quite difficult, of course, to count these sorts of things, because in many of the foil plots, they've happened before there's been a specific action taken. They're just in the planning phase. That doesn't mean we know nothing. It means that it's a very difficult area to collect good, solid, objective information in. And do researchers such as yourself, do you apply different labels to the kind of plots that are, you know, maybe a couple of guys who were stupidly talking about bombing a subway, maybe they would have done it, maybe they weren't, versus guys who were actively trying to buy, say, rocket-propelled grenades? How do you describe the severity and the seriousness of those plots? Of course you try to. And, uh, you know, one of the projects we've funded by Eric Dahl, he basically, and also Martha Crenshaw is working on some work that that gets into that level of detail. But it it is complicated because, like, let's say someone comes on your program, uh, you know, 15 years ago and says, look, uh, there's a bunch of guys that are planning these coordinated attacks. They're going to run airplanes into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon I mean, you would have thought they were kooks. Yeah. So you look at a lot of these foil plots, and a lot of them look pretty kooky, to be honest. And, you know, frankly, it's not that different in a lot of types of violence. It's often hard to sort out what's going on when there's an insurrection or war, for that matter, with ordinary crime. I think, you know, the police only solve something like 50% of homicides in the United States and only like 15% of burglaries. So... It's not like we always have perfect information on other kinds of violence, and this type of violence, I think, is especially difficult. Do you think that the efforts of counterterrorism have been damaged by talking about some of those groups like the Liberty City, what, how many were there, seven? These, this is the mm-hmm. Miami group where they literally wanted to buy jumpsuits, and they got convictions, but they trumpeted these convictions as major successes on the war on terror. There was another New York City subway would-be bomber who seemed like... Like a, yes. a, a weird and maybe mentally damaged guy. Doesn't mean he can't be trouble, but, you know, without an undercover government informer, you'd wonder if this guy would even have gotten the idea to bomb a subway. Anyway, does trumpeting these kind of plots as major successes hurt the overall effort or help it? We've watched things evolve so rapidly just in the 12 years that our center has been running so that you go from 
weak pronouncements going on from groups like Al-Qaeda to getting a very, very sophisticated social media presence in only 10 or 12 years when you look at ISIS these days. So if we're saying that we're evolving our strategies with regard to those committing terrorism, I'm sure the reverse is also true. Has the Patriot Act helped law enforcement disrupt terror plots? I mean, I would say this. If you had asked me on 9 12 mm-hmm. whether we would be in 2015 without a major new terrorist attack, I think most of us would have said no way. So I think, you know, it, you know it's always very difficult to put it into one thing, but certainly the level of vigilance and the amount of attention we've given to this, I think, has had an impact. Right. So, yes, no huge domestic terrorism incidents. We could talk about the Fort Hood type of lone wolf shooters, but no huge incidents. And concurrently, the passage of the Patriot Act. It's hard to find correlation, but you know about these 150 roughly plots. Can experts such as you point to some and say, but for the Patriot Act, I doubt we would have caught them? I think that's much harder to do. In fact, in the study that we funded that looked at about 150 plots, most of these plots were not solved by high technology, by, you know, sort of putting all the threads together. They were solved by pretty much good old-fashioned police work, by getting somebody who was willing to come forward and give information to the police. Uh, so I, I think it would be very hard to say that there is one, you know, that you could say the Patriot Act in particular was responsible for, you know, X number of these. It's probably more like, uh, an indication of how serious society is taking the issue and how much research, how many resources we're putting towards the problem. And so and I think it's probably correlated with our vigilance. And by the way, we've been, you know, tracking American attitudes towards terrorism uh, with some national surveys and people are still, you know, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 14 years after nine 11 and yet people have pretty high concerns. I think, I guess in part because of the, of the media attention in other parts of the world. So I think people are still pretty vigilant about it and for the most part willing to report suspicious behavior to police and police are certainly taking it seriously. So, but could I say the Patriot Act solved, you know, 10% of these? No, I, I couldn't say that. Diane Feinstein, who is in a position to know in the Senate Intelligence Committee, says that the NSA surveillance program has helped thwart dozens, she says, programs she might know things that you don't know because you talk about that which is unclassified. But do you have any information about if the NSA surveillance program has helped stop any terror plots? Uh, no, I don't. But again, I would say when we actually looked, at, we got kind of down in the weeds and looked at the plots that we, where we did have information, uh, the typical pattern is the police solve them the way they solve every other crime. So somebody comes forward with information, actionable intelligence, and goes, it's, it's rarely like the Hollywood version where some guy at a computer somewhere is like looking at all these coordinates and vectors and ends up uh, springing the plot. I, that is quite rare. Of all these plots that law enforcement has disrupted, is it that or is it the fact that we're protected by oceans that has kept us as safe as we have been since 9-11? Well, without a doubt, the international attack, you know, where you get groups from one country coming over to another country to attack them, is rare everywhere. And we just actually did an analysis going all the way back to 1970, and we, I had assumed that international attacks would at least be more common over time. We did not find that. 
you know, even uh, we did some work looking at organizations that the U.S. State Department said were especially dangerous to America. So we had 53 uh, terrorist organizations the State Department said were especially dangerous. We were shocked that these groups were almost entirely attacking non-U.S. targets in their own countries. So in other words, a Pakistani group attacking Pakistanis in Pakistan is by far the most common. The 9-11s, the recent attacks in Paris, these are really outliers. They're unusual. They have a huge impact on public policy, but they're not the typical terrorist attack. Now, Francois Hollande, uh, president of France, has said he's cited the fact that so many of those terrorists who coordinated and carried out the Paris attack were known to French authorities. He says that that's an indication that intelligence is doing its job. They just don't have enough manpower. Would you interpret it that way? I mean, if you think about the logistics of this, and, you know, when I've talked to some intelligence folks in different countries, you have a couple of issues. Like, first, there are way more people than you can follow. Uh, the suspects way outnumber the, the, the ability for you to cover them. And most of those suspects will never do anything. It's just a tiny proportion of them. So guessing which of the, of the groups here or the individuals you're concerned about are the ones who are going to actually do something crazy is very difficult. And then on top of that, there are civil rights issues. There's, you know, in a democracy, I mean, the whole idea of following a bunch of people who haven't yet done anything. And a lot of the individuals in these terrorist plots, uh, not all, and, and this actually is variable with the Paris case, the current case, but many of them have no criminal records. Mm-hmm. So then you've got the prospect of, you know, you're following people around in a democracy who are probably unlikely to commit an act, and yet they could. So it is a complicated problem, actually. I think it's a real challenge for a democratic society. All right, and I guess my last question, God, this is unfair, but I'm sure everyone asks you this. So you said to me on 9-12, if I had told you in the intervening 14 years we wouldn't have a major attack, you'd have been surprised. Well, what if I asked you that question today over the next couple years? That's a great question. Uh, And, you know... As a social scientist, I always get into trouble when you attempt prediction, that's for sure. I will say this. I mean, there are certainly people who would like to do it. There's no doubt about that. I think the, the interest in, uh, in, in willingness has not gone down. You know, I think we've been lucky in a few cases where things could have gotten really bad and, and, and we, were, we were fortunate. You know, we've witnessed in our terrorism database, it used to be we would say, Terrorists want a lot of people watching, not a lot of people dead. Mm. And that has really changed. In the last 10 or 15 years, it's clear that, uh, like the Paris case, people are, you know, the groups are looking, in particular ISIL is the lead in this area, is looking for a lot of dead bodies and looking for ways to do that within the West, including the United States. You know, that's a long way of saying I don't know, but it sure wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Gary LaFrey, professor of criminology and criminal justice at University of Maryland, the director of the National Center for the Study of Terrorism and Response to Terrorism, START. That's the anagram for that. Thank you, Gary. My pleasure. Harry's is the official partner of the Movember Foundation. Movember has a foundation you know about Movember. It's about raising awareness of men's